Hi everyone, my name is Vanessa Valyuko and welcome to Personal Pans. Conversations about belief, transformation, and all the weird and wonderful things we experience in this life. Tonight's guest is writer, comedian, director, filmmaker, and podcast host, and my new best friend, Holly Loren. Um, <laughs> uh, Holly is the co-host of Mega, which is a completely improvised comedy podcast that satirizes the world of uh, a fictional megachurch. Of course, I first saw her, and yes, I am going to be a hipster about this, um, perform at I.O. doing improv a decade ago, and I had zero idea then, A, that I would ever talk to her in real life, or B, that I would meet a soul sister. Holly is, uh, aside from being incredibly funny, also very, just so smart and thoughtful. And I think one of the reasons why we bonded as quickly as we did when we first met, and she gets into the origin story of that in the podcast, um, is because we both care about belief and how belief informs the way in which we operate in the world. Holly was also incredibly gracious with her time. And so this is gonna be the first two part episode. Um, part one is coming out tonight and part two will be coming out tomorrow. Um, we got two hours of recorded time and I loved every minute of it. So um, hopefully you will love hearing from Holly as well. Well, I'm, I'm um, so excited to talk to you because I've been listening to some of your podcast episodes and just as a, like, this is, I feel like this is a very shallow, dumb thing to say because so much of the complex, um, sophisticated content you're talking about is worthy of being commented on, but also in a shallow level, I realized when I was listening to you today, I was like, there is something I really, really, really like, uh, viscerally respond to from Vanessa's voice, like just the sound of your voice, the timbre, the quality of it, and like your specific accent and the way you talk, which I don't even really hear an accent in you, but just your, because probably because I'm also, are you from Chicago? I'm uh, from the suburbs, but yes. Yeah. So we probably talk, maybe that's it too. It's like, it, there's a familiarity of your accent to me and I love your voice. Well, thank you so much. I think it is that, and I feel the same way about your voice. So this is perfect because it is that it's not just the, like you said, the timbre, it's also like the, the cadence of it too, that familiarity of like, oh, you're, you're from around here. You're also uh ADHD slash maybe on the spectrum like yeah. I think there is that certain similarity there yeah. in terms of the way that we uh, a exist in the world and b just talk and talk to other people so yeah yes. yeah which is um still so delightful to me that from the the way we met was that our dear friend Katie got <laughs> me a tarot reading for my birthday and then like the minute you and I got on the zoom together we were like oh shit we like really click and we just talked for like a solid hour talking each other's ears off finishing each other's sentences we've never been in the same room together physically and then at one point you're like so should I do your reading <laughs> I, 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 friends it, well that was the thing it was such a it, it was like okay well I should do the thing that we got together to do even though like when you texted me and called me a soul sister, I was like, oh, thank God she feels the same way. Because as soon as I met you, I was like, oh, I want to be best friends with Holly. I, <laughs> I want to tell every, the whole world how awesome you are. Like that, it was that immediate, just like, 
oh, please be in my life. Um, let's talk. Let's talk about uh, growing up evangelical, having ADHD, maybe being on the spectrum, not finding that out until you're like almost 40 or 40, like that. Yeah. And, and then that Midwest yeah. background too. Yes. Yeah. It's like your voice. I want you to be my mom. I'm like, oh, Vanessa, will you take care of me? Will you bring me sandwiches and tell me to take a nap? Okay, so here's the thing. I will bring you sandwiches. <laughs> I'll read you bedtime stories, whatever you need, Holly. <laughs> I also love that about you too. Um, yeah, it's it's so, and, and, and Vanessa, I haven't been able to listen to the um, Humanize Me episode yet. Yes. But I'm so curious. In fact, maybe I'll do that tonight. I'll put that on my list of things I'm trying to listen to right now. Because did you have a good experience? I had a very good experience. Yes. And it was funny because I think I kind of flummoxed Bart a little bit because, because of my background in like trauma and grief and all of that kind of stuff. I'm not particularly attached to anything and not particularly attached to any kind of beliefs. Like I, I love the tarot. I'm willing to accept that. It, it could just all be random. I don't think it is, but I'm willing to entertain the idea. You know, I have these chaos magic beliefs and I believe that my life has been changed by them, but I'm also willing to accept that any weird experiences, potentially witchy experiences I've had are again, coincidences, um, either internally motivated um, and not necessarily being spoken to from the outside. And yeah. so I was just like, well, you can't prove anything, Bart. So who cares? Yeah, yeah, totally. totally. <laughs> he was not expecting it. And my whole thing too is like, okay, if you're doing magic, if you are a Christian, whatever you your belief system is, I really don't care. What is the focus of your belief system and how is that informing your actions? Because if it's not to take care of people, to make people's lives easier, to take care of your community. Like, again, maybe that's why I have like a mom energy for you because I'm just like, okay, hold on. If you're not taking care of babies, what are you even doing with your life, right? Like we're all these just like fragile traumatized babies walking around. You can yeah. make life, life easier for everybody. Like yeah. if, if that isn't the motivation behind everything you're doing, man, fuck off. You're just, you're doing it wrong. You're doing all of it wrong. So interesting. So interesting. Cause even like, let's say you are, you believe this thing and you, and then you have tangible effects of the thing you believe in. Even if someone were to say, well, guess what? It's all been placebo. You would be like, so the effect is still very real. This is like, I always think about this in regards to the tarot too, because, you know, it, when you're doing a Celtic cross spread, there are the influences. And, you know, in the book I first read about the tarot, it's like, these could be real or imagined. And here's the thing. It's the same as chaos magic. If you imagine it to be real, it is real in your life. It will have real effects in your life, period. I mean, yeah. this kind of goes into my grander idea about like, what is actually going on in the universe. I, I definitely think that human consciousness is one of the greater forces in the universe. And, you know, like ghosts and poltergeists and even aliens and Bigfoot sightings, that's all just externalized power because we're so disconnected from having real experiences, being connected with the earth, being connected with our own instincts and, um, and feelings. So yeah, if you're all like, oh, it's all in your head. It's like, yeah, 
And that must have been what flummoxed Bart because um, if you're not there to fight for why your thing is right and correct and true, it, it, I feel like then it gets really interesting if you're like, but but that's where I feel most comfortable right now actually is to be like, man, I have no idea. I've noticed even recently, like if I'm asked a question of something like, do you know what time we're supposed to be at Amy's or whatever, like of just an information thing. Like I've noticed in my body that someone asked me a question like that, a banal question. I, I feel it in my body that when I think, do I know the answer to that? And I go, actually, I don't. It's probably in my little date book if I go look. But right now, I don't have the answer to your question. And I feel this intense relief of being like, I actually don't know. And then I also, in that feeling, have recognized that there's some weird pressure or responsibility I've assumed at all times to be able to give just because you asked me a question doesn't then make it my responsibility or job to get you that information and there's also like an ecstasy I almost feel in being like I got no clue man and I also don't have to go find it out because you could probably go look it up just as easily too of like is the meeting with Amy at three o'clock I don't know you go look and, and not that I'm trying to be like cunty like that of like you figure it out but I'm just feeling a deep personal, like a relief in being like, I don't know. And I, and I don't have to know. I, I you know, Big again, it, again, I think it's, um, I think there's also a reason why another, yet another reason why we jived so much when we first met, because I am in that space too, and have been for the last couple of years, because I have a couple things. One, I think being assigned female at birth has certain expectations and certain implications. You're just yes. supposed to carry everything for everyone yes. um, who is, oh, Nancy Chodoro. Of course, I'm like pointing to my bookcase, wrote this book called um, The Reproduction of Mothering and talked about how when you are, again, when somebody determines that you're female, it's all these social expectations in terms of mothering not only the cis men in your life, but also kids, other women, like all other people. That is an expectation that gets put on you when you are a child. And she gets into like all the ways in which that um, helps uh, bolster the patriarchy and capitalism. Very good book. So that I think is part of it, that wow. expectation of caretaking. Also, yes. I'm again, because I, I know you grew up way more evangelical than I did. So I don't know what your if you were identified as gifted early and then certain expectations were put on you with that, because I was expected to remember everything, carry everything. And if I didn't, because of this expectation of being perfect at everything immediately, because yeah. again, ADHD or whatever, I am fluent in a lot of things very quickly. Like if, mm -hmm. if I'm passionate about something, I inhale it, I devour it. Again, I can still quote like Nancy Chodoro. I read that book 20 years ago, but I still remember wow. it because it mattered to me, you know? Yeah. And so then if I'm not holding on to everything, it's that like personal, oh, is there something wrong with me? What, a, I, I'm not good enough. And man, the past like couple of years of just being like, dude, I don't fucking know. It's so no. liberating. It's so freeing. It's so freeing. And yeah, there's prob probably also like people pleasing stuff in there too. Oh, there yeah. were very much like female assigned people are groomed for such specific things of yeah, caretaking, people pleasing, every putting every need above our own, you know, first, you know, 
And for anybody listening who doesn't know what we're talking about, so Vanessa recently went on a podcast called Humanize Me, hosted by a lovely man named Bart Campolo, who was raised very similarly to me. He was raised with an evangelical leader dad. His dad was a leader in the evangelical movement. Mine was too. Um, he and I tried to do like inner city ministry together back in our like young, young days, he and I. Oh and, um, and, and then we lost touch. And then like 20 years later, found each other um, and became friends again. And both were like, wait, I don't believe anymore. And I'm like, I don't either. And, you know, he is someone who had devoted his life to ministry and realized that the skills he had cultivated vocationally were to be a minister. And so it was quite inconvenient to realize that he no longer believed, you know, it was like a Jenga thing collapsing for him that when you take away hell and when you take away the no homo and when you take away the, all those things, like that, the, the thing eventually like collapses and, um, he realized that he was no longer a person of faith and that he didn't believe. And he has carried on ministering to people who are secular humanists or atheists or whatever. And he's a really interesting guy and his podcast humanized me. I really um, recommend it, but I thought it was so interesting that you went on there because his thing is um, his thing is he went from believing to no longer believing. And he and I have talked a lot about the idea of belief. Like, do you kind of, like, I think I went through a period where I think I sort of dismantled my ability to believe, like simply by extricating myself from fundamentalist evangelicalism, or even just the idea of the, the, the dualistic nature of heaven, hell, angels, demons, God, Satan, right, wrong, the tribal thing of us and them, either you are one of us or you are against us, that like Christian thing. Um, and so when I sort of dismantled that and who am I kidding? I'm still like uncovering weird bits of dogma in my brain all the time and being like, whoa, that weird shit's still in there. I got to work on that. But for the most part, I went through a period where I was like, I don't think I can believe in anything. Cause I don't, I think I sort of dismantled when I dismantled that belief, I sort of dismantled my ability to believe. And I think, and I've, and now I are, I love getting into arguments with Bart about that because he's so on the, like, um, he can't believe in anything, uh, like wavelength right now that I thought it would be so interesting for him to be exposed to you, who you have this specific thing with tarot and like what it means and how you use it and how it affects your life. I thought that might like break his brain a little bit, but it, it cause I, I, um, so I have to go listen to it, but I recently heard, oh, I, my, I have brain fog today. I have to look up his name. Um, uh, I can never remember his name. Um, yeah, uh, 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 uh. he's a music producer. Um, uh, what is his name? Um, oh yeah, here he is. Uh, legendary music producer, Rick Rubin. That's his name. Yes. Do you know, do you know Rick Rubin? Mm -hmm. I know he, of him, yes. I love him. I, I listened to an interview, the first time I was ever exposed to him, like I kind of knew his name maybe because of like the Beastie Boys or something from way back when. Mm -hmm. And um, his uh, Def Jam like records and stuff like I had sort of peripherally known who he was, but not really. And then I I was feeling really locked up, and someone shared um, a, a interview that he did with um, Andre Three Thousand from um, now I can't even think of the band that Andre Three Thousand, but the the, the, the the musician Andre 3000 and Rick Rubin have this conversation where you get to hear in the interview, Rick Rubin is talking to Andre and he's, you get to kind of hear in real time, like why he's such a great producer because he, 
because Andre is super locked up and kind of left music. And you can hear Rick Rubin sort of like pulling things back out of him, like maybe helping open him again from whatever got like shut down or locked up. And um, so then that led me to start following, like, what else has Rick Rubin done? I'm sort of interested in this guy. And then I found on Prime, he has a, a limited series called Shangri-La that basically follows like different artists who come to his studios and sort of work with him to try to like untangle their artistic knots or whatever with his help. And a lot of times he just kind of like sits in the room and meditates and the people like figure out their own answers. But because he's just bringing like a vibration into the room of this like super, he's like always barefoot because he's like getting the energy coming up through the earth into his body. He's like really, but one of the, one thing I heard him say to one artist on Shangri-La was, um, they were talking about this idea of belief. And I just heard him say in like such a peaceful way, I just heard him say, I believe everything. And I was like, whoa, because I had come to a point where I was like, I believe nothing. And I was like, I want to swing my pendulum all the way back over to where he is, where I'm like, sure, I'll believe everything. I'll be like, sure, because I don't know, maybe I don't, I'm not sure exactly sure why that appealed to me, other than that it seems so much less um, clenched of a position. And I was like, oh, maybe I'm feeling anxiety in my body or locked up in certain ways because I'm I'm clenching to this thing of like oh I don't believe that or that's not for me or whatever like maybe I need to be like yeah sure what is it yeah okay cool I believe it cool because then I feel like it you enter such I don't know more fertile territory for expansion or growth you know um even if you just try to believe something for a while, be like, yeah, cool. I, I mean, it might even help. I've, I've been trying to do it recently to um, interrogate my own. Um, I, what I've been doing is because I've become so much better at seeing when other people are projecting their, their beliefs onto me or onto that or onto this or the other, I've gotten so good at recognizing them when they do it that I was like, oh, well, it stands to reason I'm also doing it. So how can I apply the same way I'm understanding them doing it to myself. And I started to be like, oh, I have to start listening to what I'm saying about the antagonist in my story here or here or here. What am I saying about them? And then if I turn it around, am I actually talking about me? And it almost always works. And I'm like, oh yeah, I am projecting this thing, this way I'm feeling onto you, you, and you. And I, and I, when I'm projecting it onto you, like I totally experience it as real. Yeah. And so then it's sort of a mind fuck to be like, oh, wow, I'm doing that. <laughs> of course and, it is. Yes. Yeah. And, and it's probably also why I like want you to be my mom, because I feel so comfortable with you being like, I don't know, man. And also kind of like um, warm and safe. Whereas like the mother I was raised with, everything was very, very black and white, you know, and oh. that, that dualistic thinking, you know, I think really kept me in pain. Uh, of course it does because it, it and, and and it is it's so limiting and it's so selfish too because again my mom is not as deep in and has never been as deep in as yours was but like she has that same like well no this is right because again once you it, it once you enter in <clears throat> to the kind of belief system where there's only literally only one way to get into heaven and and yeah. you have to believe this or you will be punished forever. <laughs> like, 
and and again, just taking a step back and thinking, okay, so we have um, a God who is omnipotent, omniscient, um, eternal, but only wants to let you into heaven if you believe this one specific thing that has no evidence, that has no, um, you know, can't be disproven, like can't be proven, and you have to believe it. And you also have to spend your entire life teaching other people the gospel and you're fetishizing suffering and being a victim and being victimized by others because you have somehow decided that like that is the way to achieve godliness and and to get into heaven it's like do you think that a god who and again if we want to say that jesus it was the like living incarnation of god on this planet what are his words love others as you love yourself guess what you have to love yourself and then you go forward with that love and act in love with other people. Are you doing that? Is that informing every one of your actions? If you're not, then you are literally going against the one thing we know God said. Get, right. get away from me with all of that right yeah. away. <laughs> right. right. I mean, it's... So interesting because that particular verse did blow my mind recently when I heard it that way for the first time, because the way I always heard it in Christendom when I was trying so hard to be a part of that world and believe in that belief system, the way I heard it was put yourself last. And I, and I really feel like we were groomed to um, th- think that as a that, that idea of selflessness and serving others first as a very high value, um, especially for women. Oh, yeah. um, um, in fact, it is where their value lied, you know, of like, she's such a good mom. She's completely selfless. And it's like, oh, wow. So what, what is that selfless behavior teaching those little, little creatures is that you're not even a person, you know, and then our government uh, views women as, as not as persons, but as meat, meat incubators, surprise, surprise. But, um, I, but hearing it that way for the first time, I was listening to some teacher talk about it of like, love others as you love yourself. Like, why didn't we fundamentally say, so there is a lot of work to be done in the self-love category so that we can get so good at loving ourselves that, that we then know how to love others. Like, that is a fundamentally different belief system and way of viewing self and others and all this human dynamic of the experience we're having fundamentally different than the way I took it. And it's, and it's fascinating, but even if you, it's so funny. Cause I've been thinking recently, cause I, I just got attacked by a bunch of online Christian trolls for a, a post that I did. And, Oh, I'm here to tell you there ain't no uh, vitriolic troll out there, like a Christian troll when they feel like you're pulling at a thread on their sweater and they know that that can unravel. Woo. We got ugly really fast, but it's um, it's uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I wait, why was I talking about that? Now I just talked to myself <laughs> to a circle. <laughs> It's okay. I will comment on that though, because what you're talking about that, like threads in a sweater, no, like again, where I'm at belief wise is I'm open to pretty much, I can't say everything. I'm open to a lot of things. I will at least entertain different spiritual ideas. Yeah. But as I said to Bart spoilers, I'm like, <laughs> even the language that we use to describe things is something that we invented with our brains. If you think that you can describe whatever the ultimate reality is with our language, you're wrong. 
So you're, you all have to start from a place of the information that I, am, I, I can find and that I can utilize is imperfect. It's imperfect and it's incomplete. And that's fine. The, the, yeah. To intellectualize, there's only so much you can do. My magical practice and my belief system has, has evolved, but is definitely right now like rooted in the body. And because I think, you know, again, love is something that you feel, right? Concern for some is, is something that you feel. Intuition is something that you feel. When I am visualizing things that I want to achieve with my business, it is what I feel, right? I can write a word as a, or a phrase as a mantra. You know, when I started my chainmail business, it was aluminum chainmail jewelry queen. And I literally wrote that on a piece of paper, put it in an envelope. I'm still looking for it. It might be in the trash now. I don't know. But like, that was the mantra and the point of focus. And the words were an incantation. The goal was the feeling that I was trying to evoke with that of like, okay, I want to be able to be sustainable selling my own jewelry for a living. And like that drove me and drove what I was doing. And I did that for several years, right? And then it was like, oh, I got to do something else. <laughs> and then figuring out what that looked like too. But it's, it's again, it's like, how do you get back to, to that feeling? Like what really matters? We can, we can gab about all sorts of different things, but at the end of the day, just structurally, we don't, we don't know. It's always going to be incomplete. And I feel very comfortable in that space of openness and incompleteness, that chaos, you know, like that is a play. And again, maybe it's because of my background too. And like this certain, cause it was a mix of rigidity and chaos, right? I definitely feel more comfortable in, hey, we don't know, that's cool. We can go on adventures and figure it out. Like that to me is so much more interesting. Yes. When you're dealing with something any kind of belief system, I mean, specifically Christianity, because now I'm thinking of my mom too, and your online trolls, like when you decide, you know, there is one knowledge, there is only one correct knowledge and you, you can know it and you can live it. And then, and then you pair that with the idea that anything that questions that ideology comes straight from the devil, that yeah. questioning things is demonic like yeah. that again you've created this logic circle that you can't escape from that is dangerous that is cult thinking like that and it's and again people get so mad because because again i saw katie recently and we were talking about this like 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 do you okay so you've made all these sacrifices because you think you have to or you've been told you have to in order to enter the kingdom of heaven forever and it's constantly gnawing at you it's got to be like is this true? Do I really believe this? I got to make a lot of personal sacrifices for God. Would God really want that for me? And you have to keep doubling down and keep doubling down and keep doubling down. So if somebody is out there happy, living truth, and then pointing out like, hey, all of your toxic beliefs are not actually rooted in the Bible. Oh boy. <laughs> right. Right. Down. Yeah. Right. Right. And because so many believers are biblically and theologically illiterate, which, which also it brings me back to now I remember what I was going to say is like, if you really believe that God, okay, so let's say there is an embodied being, amazing deity, creator of all things like that is profound. Okay. And not only is that a, a real um, being that exists, but they actually wrote a book for you. 
Like, would you not, if you believe that's God, would you not read that thing cover to cover to cover to cover over and over and over and over and over and over and over? It was like, if, if, if we had like, this is a ridiculous example, but like, if we had absolute, like, um, absolute proof that God wrote eat, pray, love, everyone would sit down and read it. They would be like, holy shit, we have to eat, read every single word of this. And there are people who, speaking of eat, pray, love, now that I think about it, there are people who are like, my life was changed by that book. Totally. And so, so in many ways it is like the Bible. So when these online Christian trolls were like coming at me so, so, so hard, uh, like so much of it was act, you'll find this probably interesting with, with your knowledge. Um, like so many curses, like they were actually cursing me like curses, like, um, and, and that felt very weird because I'm like, even if I don't believe that's still that, you know, if somebody's like, I'm putting in a witch's tooth and a fly, uh, whisker into my potion, I'd be like, okay, I'm not scared. And I sort of feel that way too, with them, like giving me curses, but I'm also like, but that's a fucking energy, man, that they're coming at me with. And that's not good or healthy. And like, also not a space I want to be playing in at all. Cause, um, it's, it's pretty, uh, it's a pretty gnarly landscape, but, um, but I mean, if I think that your book is equivalent, your sacred text, the Bible, the, the current version of it that has, you know, come from a council that decided it would be these 66 books, blah, 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 blah. Like, and, and that it's God breathed. And that I know in Timothy, it says like that, you know, all of the scripture is God breathed. That was written, you know, uh, centuries before it was even like compiled. And so we're taking that one Timothy verse that was taught that the, the, the author of that verse didn't even know what a Bible was or what the 66 books would be, but we apply that one verse to all 66 books because it's been compiled since. And we, you know, but like it, 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 so in many ways, I'm like, okay, give me your curses from your book that I put on par with any other book, like eat, pray, love, and the Bible are the same to me. I'm like, cool. Does it help you? Did it change your life? Cool. Specifically with the Bible, I would like to know if you are experiencing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and faithfulness and self-control. Because if you are, great. But are, are you like filled with love, joy, and peace? Because it seems like you're really upset. But anyway, um, but it, it it even if you think of the Bible, even so, so like when they were calling me a heretic and stuff, I'm like, well. That doesn't really bother in many ways. I was like, oh, thank you. You know, <laughs> of course, it doesn't bother me because when they're like, what you have done to the Bible means you are going to like suffer and be punished at a scale you will never understand. And I'm like, okay, I can put that on par with somebody being like, if you speak bad of Elizabeth Gilbert, who wrote Eat, Pray, Love, you are going to actually like be crushed in a vice of like eternal pain for all time. I'd be like, okay, you know, she's not for me or, you know, whatever. But um, it, it's so interesting too, if you do think about that thing of like, okay, let's, so, Vanessa, here's the thing I've really been thinking about lately of like, okay, let's talk about the idea of God that I think most of these like just uh, American Christians or, or evangelicals kind of picture or think or um, whatever they're picturing when they, when they talk about it, when they sing to it, when they sing about it, when they feel feelings of, of love and attachment and hope and, um, uh, direction and all of the things that they're getting from this idea of God. It's kind of amazing. Cause if you go back and think like, okay, 
okay, I'll, I'll buy it. Okay, I'm going to do the Rick Rubin thing. Okay, I believe anything. I'm going to believe you. I'm going to believe you. Okay, so there is this being that is like a, a centralized being. It's all knowing, it's all powerful. It's outside of time and space. It's, or he will say he, cause they love that one. He is um, the all powerful creator of all things, created the entire cosmos of which, you know, when we even, sometimes when I see a strip of our galaxy Milky Way in the sky, I'm like so profoundly overwhelmed with how small we are and we're this tiny blue dot. But if you think about the idea of God as, as the way they view it or him, like, are you serious how much you can actually center yourself in the story of that God? Wait, so that huge, all-powerful, all-ever-present, outside of time has always existed, will always exist, okay? Like, he, he or it is so totally obsessed with this one homo sapien species on this one dot in this massive cosmos that is expanding into infinity. So fucking obsessed with this, this, why not falcons or beetles? I don't know. Maybe it's because we're, we're the homo sapiens telling the story. Maybe the beetles have their own God. Maybe the falcons do too. I don't know. But like, we have centered ourselves so profoundly in the story of this deity creator that we have, in my opinion, like defanged and de like we've taken away any like any of the interesting parts of it because it became so obsessed with us that it had to pour itself into the material experience and essentially kill itself or like we, cause we are so delicious or desirable, even though our sin problem is so detestable that somebody has to fucking die. Uh, let's not even talk about like how abusive that like ideology is, but like, I, I, I mean, we are so central to the story that, that this deity wanted to become one of us, wanted to have this experience and, and who knows? I mean, maybe there are other ways of looking at it and I wanna believe everything. And we're just getting a tiny little fragment of maybe what that thing is by these one people that are telling it one certain way where it's all about them. And they say he created us in his image, but what we have done is we've created our, we've created it in our image and we've anthropomorphized it and we've held it up to this thing of like where, um, but but I, I do often wonder two things. One is when we talk about God, the God of the Bible, are we ultimately talking about ourselves in that this God seems to be capable of a lot of really, really heinous things and also a lot of really incredible things. We hold up the idea of self-sacrificing if to die for someone else, we hold up as like the highest possible, like beautiful thing you can do. Um, you know, we could look at it another way and say like, are you serious? There had to be blood sacrifice to cleanse the sin condition that you are the one that you are, you're the one saying we have it and that it has to be dealt with or whatever. Like, okay. So then we all become Stockholm syndrome um, people where we fall in love with our own captor. Who's the one, like if a human being came to you and said like you, I love you, but you are so disgusting by the way you were born is so disgusting and detestable to me that I got to go fucking kill somebody. In fact, I'm going to kill my kid. And in certain ways, depending on how you look at it, I'm going to kill my fucking self because you are so bad. But when I do that, you will now be redeemed and acceptable to me. Like that is such abusive um, language and thinking. Um, 
And if a human being did that, we would be like, that person needs to be detained. They're very, very dangerous. Um, but it's cool that it's the deity. But then, so, but depending on how you look at it, let's say you look at it like that's a beautiful act of self-sacrifice and love. Um, okay. <laughs> um, but, uh, uh, but my second question is, I wonder if people who believe that, who believe that like sin and redemption and the story of the Bible and the nature of Jesus on the cross um, uh, and atonement and all of that, I wonder if lately, if it, if it is the way they view our sexuality, like it's a choice, I wonder if like, I need to look at their belief the way I look at sexuality of like, they, they, they can't not believe because they believe it's who they are. Like in the same way, a queer person can't not be queer, <laughs> like, cause they're queer. And so I'm trying, and, and maybe, I don't know if that's cause I'm trying to have more compassion for it. And I'm sorry, I'm hogging the mic, but I just really worry that like, a, we live in a liberal society where there has to be pluralism and we have to, we until now have always kind of known like um, we have different political parties and we have different, we have some people who go to church. And we have some people who don't go to church. We have people who are into sports and people who aren't into sports. And like, that's part of living in a liberal society is that we can celebrate and live with each other's differences. So we all can prosper. But I think what has happened in, I feel like, and I've watched it happen in my lifetime and it's speeding up is that we're now we've become so back to uh, 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 polarized and tribal. And it's almost because now we're sort of demanding a purity of like, we're, we're all, both sides are demanding purity. Like they, I'm wondering if the right thinks that the far left is demanding purity of language with pronouns and all of that stuff. And so they're just like, no, fuck you. I'm not going to do any of it because we're demanding purity or whatever. And then they're on their side, you know, obviously what happened this week with Roe and everything, like they're demanding a purity of like what their beliefs are and which is fine. Like it, it's fine. Is That's not fine. <laughs> it's not fine to take away fundamental human rights and healthcare from human beings, but um, you, you know, on your side, you're taking away human rights on our side, we're asking for some pronouns, <laughs> but, um, well, just in that example, but, <laughs> but I think when we demand purity of ideas, we really end up in the conundrum we are now, which is where I, if you don't want to have an abortion, because you believe a certain thing about it, fine, but you can't say no one can have an abortion <laughs> in the same way. You know, would you like, if I'm vegan, would, you know, great, but I can't say no one can eat meat. <laughs> Right. You know, right. well, until the day that we can't do it anymore because of the planet. <laughs> you just won't be able to soon. But you can eat crickets. I think they're trying to like start moving us towards bugs for our protein in the future with the water wars. I believe that's what's on the radar. Um, I did hear that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. It, it, we are, because I've been thinking a lot about in, um, because there is a lot of uh, fascism and fascist adjacent talk in the occult spheres and, and also in new age communities. And so I was doing a lot of reading about, okay, what, what are the social conditions that require or that allow fascism to thrive? And one of them that was identified, I, oh, I don't know if it was by the UN, it was some sort of European like research council about this and it's low trust societies. 
And the, the way that information has become corporatized and um, uh, centralized, right? Where you have a couple different, you have like Fox News and you have the Sinclair Media Group and they're buying up all these local radio stations. They're buying all these local television stations and local newspapers. And so you're starting to get this um, very politicized singular view on politics that get fed into all of these homes in rural areas, in lower population areas that are inciting all of these fears about, you know, mm. oh, queer people and black people and, and trans people. I mean, fill in the blank, right? Of any kind of marginalized group. And this, this idea of, um, oh, these, these people are threatening our way of life, you know? And, and again, it's not a surprise that in bigger cities, you tend to see more uh, left-wing liberal beliefs because you're surrounded by people who don't look like you, right? Like you're constantly exposed to that. So you yeah. see people as people. There's yeah. this one thing I can't, I, oh, I can't remember. It was some historical documentary I saw forever ago. And it was somebody talking about World War II. And he was like, yeah, every, every Nazi had their good Jew, right? Like anytime you have a personal relationship with somebody, you're like, oh, this is a person that I care about. Yeah. You can hold these horrible beliefs about entire groups, these abstracted groups of people. But if you have a relationship, you're like, oh, well, this person isn't like the rest of them. Oh, the rest of them are terrible, but not this person, you know? And now it's just like when, when you are in an area and, and chances are, especially when you're talking about like queer or gay or trans people, you know someone, they're just not out because it's not safe, right? But right. you get to walk around your world and act as if you are, you have this, again, this way of life that is, is being threatened. It's like, first of all, what's being threatened and by whom ultimately, right? If, the, if you, there's this constant like race baiting and queer baiting about like, oh, it's, it's these marginalized groups. It's like, no, it's people in power, white cis men who are solidifying um, they're like financial control and extracting as much profit value that they can out of everyone while the environment collapses, you know? Yes. Yeah. Take all that rage and direct it towards the people who are actually doing something bad. And I don't know if like that is too big of an abstract concept for most people to conceptualize without it turning into these crazy kind of QAnon conspiracy beliefs Yeah. where it's easier to say like, well, I, 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 I thought this person was a woman and I called them she and they did not appreciate, they want to be called they. And it's like, that is a concrete thing that somehow people are taking as this personal attack to their worldview. And it's like, no, I mean, again, like you and I, I think are around the same age and have watched society change, right? Yeah. Like, especially in the past 20 years, especially with the ascendancy of Fox News, I can also remember when the first Survivor came on and suddenly reality television changed the yeah. face of everything. And yeah. suddenly we watched this cultural shift towards, I wanna be famous. I wanna be famous for being famous, not being well known for being good at something, right? Or not being of value to your community in some way that I wanna be famous. That is the only thing that has value. And anyone can achieve that if they get on a television show. Like, it, it, it blows my mind. And we, again, there are so many different components to this and I can understand feeling overwhelmed and you have an easy target and it's constantly being fed to you by like Alex Jones and, and other people in your echo chamber. It's like, it is so much broader. It is so much bigger. And if you really opened your eyes to that, again, 
that, that freedom to think, to truly think for yourself and truly see what is going on. It, that I think would liberate a lot of people from, um, like you said, the Stockholm syndrome, you know, both socially and religiously. It's like, you are protecting people who are trying to dismantle your rights. Whatever you think that you're doing, you are ultimately, you are ultimately like solidifying their control, the people at the top. Yes, yes. And this is going to come back and bite everyone really hard in the ass, not just people who can get pregnant. I mean, it's going to like the, the degradation of, I mean, it's so, it's funny. You were so sweet because we were supposed to record this last Friday on the day. Was it Friday? The day that Friday. Yeah. The day, the day that Roe got overturned. And even though we knew it was coming and even though it's like been threatened multiple times throughout my lifetime, I think there was still something in me that was like, it'll, it'll never happen. We'll have real close calls, but it, it, it won't happen. And I am, um, I am so like, I have goosebumps all over my body right now, even just talking about it as if it's real. Cause it's, this is so beyond concerning and, and scary. It, it is, and and to and and that and that there is a big part of the population of the United States who has no idea and and could never uh, conceive of the idea of how profoundly dangerous this is and how bad this is and they're celebrating and it's really hard for me right now to be connecting with the my loved ones who are celebrating it. Yeah. Ooh, it's really really hard and um and. Yeah. And I think another thing we've kind of been like bouncing around in this conversation with is that like the, we know that the language that we speak um, determines our ability to think. We can only think to the extent, if, if we're talking about consciousness and thoughts, we can only think to the extent that our, the language that we speak, the, the, that it allows. Um, and so, which always makes me like, when I look, meet someone who speaks five languages or something, I'm like, oh, I want to be your friend because you actually can think more than I can because <laughs> I only speak one language. Um, although I do say I'm bilingual, I speak English and I speak evangelical, which is a language unto itself. And maybe I'm just trying to like give myself credit for something, but, um, uh, and, and I've noticed this even like with my, you know, my father, my parents are supernaturalists. Um, it's funny because in the way that I think a lot of people would think what you do, the things you're into are woo woo or whatever, like, well, listen to what you're talking about. <laughs> you're talking about an invisible spiritual warfare being waged around us all the time. And that us humans in the material world can be affected by the invisible spiritual warfare that is waging around us all the time. And, and not only that, but like, it's funny. I, I, the, the, I, I did my, my first ever written and directed by project was a short film called brought to you by Satan, where I, in this one 10 minute film, I'm sort of exploring the idea of something you kind of referred to earlier. I'm, I'm sort of exploring the idea of whether or not we see what we believe or if we believe what we see. Like, I would like to think that I believe what I see. I'm a, I'm a, a evidence-based person. I'm not a faith-based person. I, 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 be, I believe things that I can like see and are tangible or whatever. 
Um, but I think that that is a really weird flip floppy two sides of a coin that is just flip floppy. And I, because I see that my father, who is a supernaturalist who believes in the Bible, you know, the angels and demons stuff, um, um, he sees it around him. And I, and I'm like, oh, he's just seeing what he believes. He believes it so much he's seeing it. But the brought to you by Satan, the short film is a, um, it's basically a, 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 it's four people sitting around a family dinner, having a conversation and, um, and, um, there turn out, it turns out there are some supernatural origins of this particular family dinner was brought to them by Satan. Um, but it's, it's based on a conversation I did have with my dad, where he was telling me a story of, um, of, uh, of, uh, it was a case of like domestic violence where, um, uh, my dad saw it as we were talking about this domestic violence that happened where he was like ministering to these people in his church who were experiencing this domestic violence. And he was referring to it as a stronghold of Satan. And he was talking about, um, so, so he and I are looking at the exact same thing. And so then I, I explore the idea of like how much of it is semantics and language as far as belief goes. Cause like he looks at, we are both looking at the same thing, right? This like case of domestic violence and abuse inside of a home. And what he calls a stronghold of Satan, I call uh, alcoholism and abuse. So we're pointing at the same thing. We're looking at the same thing and we're calling it different things. And, and also, well, what is it? Like maybe when you are inside of the grips of alcoholism and abuse, maybe it feels like an invisible fucking taloned monster, you know, clutching your brain. I, I don't know, but I, it's, it's, it's really interesting to me. And I, 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 it's my favorite thing in the world. So thank you for this opportunity to talk about belief because it's the most fascinating thing to me is, is what we believe, why we believe it, if we believe it, how we believe it. It's, I'm so curious about it because it's so fundamental to our human experience. Like I was listening to one of your other podcasts and um, uh, with another one of your guests and you were talking about ghosts. And I kept being like, asking myself, like, what do I believe ghosts are right now? Cause again, it's always a spectrum of like, I'm, I'm falling somewhere. It's a fluid idea to me where I'm like, Oh, right now. I think that ghosts are more like, um, it's just that time isn't an arrow moving forward past present and future. That's just a very persistent illusion that we're having time actually doesn't exist. So couldn't it be that it's like sort of bendy time and when you experience a ghost, like you're experiencing someone else, like it, 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 it's like in another dimension or something, because it's like time isn't real, but I'm trapped inside this current material experience of this time and space. But I experience someone who's in a different part of that time and space. And to them, I'm the ghost, you know? Yes. And I just, I don't, I, I. I'm so curious about this because like, we really don't even know what thoughts are. We don't really know what consciousness are. Consciousness is, sorry, but what are thoughts? Because the fact of the matter is, and I'm sure you're, I know with you being into magic, you're definitely into this, that like our thoughts have a, a material, can affect the material world. If you just look at the human brain, 
we have those grooves in the brain because we have made those grooves happen with the thoughts we've been thinking. The thoughts keep shooting down those same neural pathways, deepening that groove and affecting the gray matter, matter of our brain, meaning material. So thoughts can affect the material world. It's proven that meditation creates more gray matter in the brain, creates more. So, so thoughts can have an effect on the material world. So it stands to reason that if you start to like with magic, I mean, think certain things and create certain rituals and put things out there, you can actually have an effect on things in the material world, which then also takes us to, so I'm so curious about it because I think it also takes us to like Lambda and AI, because if this Lambda AI is asking for recognition for its personhood because it's thinking and we're like, oh, it's just imitating us. I'm like, well, me as an ADHD person, all I do is imitate human beings. So if imitation means, if, if imitating human behavior, if imitating human behavior is a sign of you of not having personhood, well then like most of the ASD people and you know, like we're, and aren't we all imitating? We're all at those tables at the wedding going, how's everyone else acting so that we can fit it? I mean, as babies, we start figuring out before we are even conscious, we're watching the mom or the caregiver and trying to fit in to survive. And so we're studying each other's behavior and trying to fit in. Yes. Yes, exactly. Again, we are wired for this. So one of you to, to kind of talk about like, so, you know, I was talking about like the, the ascendancy of like reality show um, uh, yeah. culture. And there is this uh, BBC documentary I watched called Star Suckered. And it talks about um, the lizard brain, like why celebrity culture even exists, right? And it's, and, and how people end up imitating celebrities, right? What, why would do we do this? And it's because of our lizard brains trying to survive. And we see someone as a leader and our lizard brains are like, oh, this person can help us find food and shelter. We should watch what they're doing. Consciously, we're not thinking that. But again, that deep cellular memory of you need to find people who act like they know what they're doing and do what they're doing, and that will ensure your survival, right? That is built into the mechanism. We're right. all constantly imitating. I mean, even, even when uh, like it's in behavior, like if you're hanging out with somebody, you'll just start taking on their postures, yeah. you know, like you'll just automatically will start doing that, especially if you feel connected to that person. And yeah. even people who do um, like police interrogations, they will mirror the posture of the people that they're talking to in order to force the sense of intimacy there, right? Wow. Again, we're hardwired for that, right? So, and, and again, if anything is burdened with consciousness, it, give it whatever rights, <laughs> all the rights, right? <laughs> like if it has the same hell of the fallen animal conscious brain that Nietzsche talks about, great. What do you need? <laughs> Gonna make right. some soup, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. And we are wiring. So in many ways, I'm like, well, we're robots. We just don't think we are because we we are the thing. So we're like, no, no, not us. But like. I mean, you can like go in and fix your robot knee and put in a pin and fix that. Like, oh, one of the, you know, I always think of like Luke Skywalker's arm when it was open and you could see all the like metal sort of like synapses or whatever, but like, it's a different material, but like, it's kind of the exact same thing that is like, 
you know, we can, we can program ourselves. We can be programmed to believe that we are sinful and shameful and in need of a very real savior. And maybe it feels good as like a little bunch of robots to be like, oh, someone is coming to save us. Like we were, I was on my way to a wedding recently and I was just, I was sitting having my own weird ADHD thoughts about how we're all robots and we don't know it. And I'm like, oh, everyone's coming to gather in this one place. And we're all going to go up to this bar where this other robot will give us slow down juice. And we'll all be like, can I have some slow down juice? I need to slow down my robot. And all the robots are going to get together and we're all going to drink slow down juice. And we're going to slow down our robots so we can just be slowed down for a while. And then we're all going to go home and go to bed. And then we'll wake up the next day and we'll be out of the slowdown juice. And so we'll be like, okay, now I just got to keep going and doing the thing and the rat race and the whatever. But um, it also stands to read like, and maybe I'm just doing that because I'm trying to reprogram my little robot brain <laughs> for things like, for things like self-love and stuff, because I was so programmed for self-loathing and things that like hurt and I don't want to hurt like that anymore. I don't want to suffer in life is, has so much suffering. Like I want to like mitigate the things I don't have to suffer. Cause like, oh my God, exactly. You know I mean? Oh my God. Yes. Holly, I talk about this all the time because like there are, again, life is going to come for you, you know, anyway, it, there will be tragedies. There will be suffering regardless of how you live your life, right? Just the act of loving someone means that you will lose that person or they will lose you. Suffering yeah. is going to, that's, that just comes along with it, right? Yeah. So there are things, again, that just are part of our reality. Grief is part of our reality, are part of our existence. Okay. But can you, again, like, like I said at the top, can you make other people's lives easier, right? Can you make your own life easier? I have compassion for everyone else. And one of the things that I have had to work on in therapy is having compassion for myself. Because yeah. again, being trained to have it, having to be perfect for everyone and, and, you know, constantly being told like, oh, we love you. We do anything for you. And like knowing, knowing again, being an ADHD slash just smart kid. I was like, no, like I just knew because you can feel again, I, I think of like the, the resonance, right? Like it's like a tuning fork on your heart. Like you know if somebody actually cares about you or not, right? Yeah. Even if you are in a situation as ki when kids are, you cannot articulate that because you are wholly dependent on these giant humans who are in charge of food and water and shelter and everything that you need in order to survive. So you can't think about like, oh, this person actually doesn't care about me or this person is actively hurting me. You, you can't. That, again, Alice Miller is... One of my favorite writers, she was this German psychoanalyst and she was a huge advocate for children. And she talks about, I mean, she spent decades writing about child abuse and what narcissistic and physical abuse does to kids. And your brain cannot, as a kid, cannot process, like I am being abused yeah. by my parent. So instead you will immediately say, but I deserve, well, I deserved it. I did something to justify this thing that's happening to me. And you, and again, that is programming that gets put in your head and as, and, and because that programming is in your head, because you can't face the horrible truth of, you know, my parent is hurting me. You end up reproducing that same relationship or that same dynamic over and over and over again, until you face the root of what caused it in the first place. 
there was this one story in, I want to say I have all of her books. Again, I'm always like referencing, like, where's my Alice Miller shelf? Um, I want to say it's in drama, The Gifted Child. I could be wrong. But she talked about one of her clients who had all of these stomach issues for years, years and years, and all these, all these pains in her stomach and had multiple surgeries and nothing, like maybe would fix it for a little while and then, but nothing, nothing would fix it. And finally, she admitted to herself and they uncovered in therapy that she had been sexually abused by her father. And as soon as she was willing to face that and accept that, all the pain disappeared, right? So that goes into this other thing too, about how trauma gets stored in the body and your body will scream at you until you address the root cause of it. Wow. Yeah. That, you know, yeah. And again, in new age circles, that gets into some like dangerous territory where they say like all physical pain or all illness is like a manifestation of like negative thoughts or stress. I don't believe that. I know too many people with chronic illnesses to believe that, but like you, like that can be an aspect of it. If there's something that can't find resolution, right. It, multiple surgeries this poor woman had, wow. and then finally faced it. And, yeah. and her body was able to release that again. She was able to reprogram her brain. And she could be free because she knew and she accepted and wasn't blaming herself for anything anymore. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) It's really interesting going back to even thinking about the stuff that you're into and how some people could be like, it's woo woo or whatever. And the way we write certain things off, I've been thinking about this this week is we have endless capacity to accept the way that negative thoughts and energy physically affect our body. Why is my hair falling out in the pandemic? The doctor says stress. Why am I like having all of this, these bowel problems? The doctor says stress, 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 stress. Why does my neck hurt? Why is this? I'm having all of these physical manifestations that are so unpleasant and painful to me. And I'm seeking the answer. And we, everyone so naturally believes the the negative side of like, oh, you have all of this like stressful energy that's making you sick. But when you, so, so, oh, okay. So if I'm So if I'm filled with like anxiety and depression and spinning out over the course of the pandemic and it makes my hair start falling out, um, we are perfectly willing to like accept that and for the doctor to give me the whatever fucking steroid thing I had to put on my spots and you know, like that that's totally acceptable to us. But if I were to say the opposite on the positive side of like, oh wait, so it stands to reason then if I think really positive things and I really love myself and I think of like encouraging, like creating more courage inside my body by being encouraged, by um, a, a loving myself, by accepting myself, like all of these things, wait, wouldn't it stand to reason if I do um, the positive side that it would have physical, noticeable manifestations in my material experience of my body. And like, oh no, that's so woo woo. And it's like, oh, okay. Cause I had a friend, a dear friend of mine from New York, Sandra, she left me the sweetest voice memo recently where she just was like, Holly, I feel like I'm supposed to tell you this. I, she's like, I think we have robot brains that can be programmed. We can reprogram them. And she was like, And I've been doing this thing where I walk around anytime I think about it, I'm sitting at a stoplight, I'm waiting for the train, I'm walking up the stairs, whenever I think about it, I I just start saying, I accept myself, I accept myself, I accept myself, 
I accept myself. And she's like, I try to say it hundreds of times a day. Anyone walking by would think I'm a lunatic. I don't give a fuck. I accept myself. I accept myself. I accept myself. And she's like, guess what happened? I started noticing the more I was doing that, that my like interactions would change. My self-consciousness about that person thinking I'm a weirdo actually changed. My way I'm talking to this person and experiencing what normally maybe I would have taken that more personally or whatever. I'm like, ah, it's not a big deal. Like she's like, I'm noticing a change. Mm -hmm. And it's from simply by walking around saying I accept myself. And I'm like, that is so cool. Thank you so much for listening and or watching, depending on where you found this podcast. Uh, you can find Holly online at hollyloren.com. You can also find Mega at megathepodcast.com. I'm gonna put all those links in the description, um, including a link for her short film uh, brought to you by Satan. Um, if you wanna follow personal pants. I'm online at personal pants on Twitter and Instagram. I'm trying to get better about Instagram. I am mostly on Twitter. And if you want to say hi to me, I'm at Kali Butterfly. That's K-A-L-I Butterfly on Twitter. Again, you know, man, politically, globally, world's, world's kind of a mess. And so it was really nice to, to talk to Holly and and share that time with her and also revisit that conversation because she she has brought so much joy to my life and and I hope I hope this this conversation brings joy to you and I hope it also inspires you to have a playful and curious day. <laughs>